With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Blog Talk Radio. to another edition of Troy News is an absolute podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Cassillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, Fort Drum Week. Happy... Woo! What are they doing today? Beating each other with... Beating the piss out of each other. <laughs> which was probably the most fun I've had watching live tweeting from a Syracuse anything, I think. <laughs> Yeah, this is uh, a lot of entertainment. It was one of the more entertaining things we've seen from the Syracuse team in quite some time, um, which is sad, but at the same time, enjoyable. Also tells us that we are almost there, and you also cannot buy those 44 badge T-shirts if your life depended on it. Still don't have an answer from Syracuse about why that is. Because they're cool and people want them. Yeah, that's a good reason not to tell something. <laughs> the school that'll sell you a shirt after after any accomplishment, regardless of how minor, won't sell you a shirt that you actively want and, and ask them, how can I purchase? Why don't you let us love you, Syracuse? I think it's like, it's the weirdest, admittedly, Syracuse is the weirdest relationship I have with any person or thing. It's <laughs> just an active... Seems like there's an active desire on its part to make me not want to like it. Yeah, it's definitely more multi-layered than any other sport sport relationship, uh, for sure, uh, because of the actual greater university and the multiple things. But uh, there's definitely a running theme, and and it's pretty. It's kind of perfect that they don't sell the shirts that everyone's raving about. <laughs> Fair, fair. Um, before we get into a uh, quick conversation about, well, not quick, but about the Coastal Division, I obviously want to bring up something we were talking about today on our internal Slack room, and that is where we fell in today's SB Nation uh, college football rankings for 2015. And while I thought all of us kind of just resigned ourselves to the fact that, that we would be low, probably lower than we wanted to, I, I think the number that we came up with was, was stunning, and, you know, both of us are big defenders of Bill C. Um, all season and even during the offseason when he, you know, does just one of the better services around on the Internet, which is preview all 128 games. And he ranked us 99th. Uh, Dan, your initial thoughts? Um, I said earlier, 
I didn't want to be the person that like promotes Bill C and defends him against people who aren't into stats and all that, and then turn around and like rip him for racing Syracuse super low. So I will give him the benefit of the doubt and say that whatever you know, he doesn't even do it as blind. He has numbers to back it up, and I'm sure the numbers do add up to calculate that Syracuse is 99, which is fine. I just don't see. Just based on the teams like directly ahead of Syracuse, including Wake Forest, with one spot ahead of Syracuse, which just like makes it even more comical than if they were like five spots ahead. Um, I just don't get like some of of the schools that are projected to be better. It's almost like I, I we we always preach you know winning football games and and we're not we don't care so much about playing like these super tough schedules, but at the same time. A team that's three and nine in the ACC uh, that beats, you know, a beat Wake Forest by twenty what twenty three points last year on the road without the starting quarterback. Um, probably should be ranked ahead of that team. Uh, we beat Central Michigan, who was not ranked ahead of us, but was like a bold, you know, a bold team out of the mat. We beat them by thirty on the road. So you think that like most mid-level MAC teams are probably worse than Syracuse? And yet, I, that didn't bear out um, in the rankings. And, and there were a lot of, like, you know, Toledo's and, and uh, I mean, even being with some of the other schools that were out of us, um, I don't know off the top of my head, but there were, like, a, a lot of Western Michigan. Like, I get Western Michigan's recruited well. I get, like, some of these other teams have won six or seven football games pretty consistently. But if you're ranking in terms of, like, actual, you know, who would win a football game between the two, like Syracuse, they were playing a max schedule. We would have won seven games last year, even with all the injuries, and probably would win nine or ten games almost every season. So, I don't know. It seemed like an over, it overblew how bad things are, especially considering we lost a lot of defensive players, but we're not replacing them with like walk-ons. We're replacing them with inexperienced, but um, very talented players across the board who are largely. Uh, considered more talented than the guys they're replacing, at, at least when all things are equal, as are true. So, I don't know. I'm not, like, upset about it. It, it is what it is. It's not the first bad uh, preview we've had this year. It's not even the lowest ranking we've had this year from one of these. But it's a bit disappointing that the perception is so low of the program that even something that is, is so well thought of as Bill Steve's ranking could, uh, could have Syracuse is just literally one of the worst teams in the sport, which I think is an over overblows the issues with Syracuse a bit. Yeah, I think that hits the nail on the head. And like you said, you know, if you defend Bill C, Bill C all year, it's tough to really like pile on when he says negative things about us too. Um, but to me, you know, just like, you know, again, you said, there is a little bit of a, of a twinge of just like not, not viewing SU's season last year for what it was and viewing this year for what it is, like, it just seems like everybody went right back to the Greg Robinson narrative the second, you know, this team missed the ball. And, and it's odd that, that the progress under Marone and the, you know, early bowl win under Schaefer, all these things could vanish. I mean, no, I wouldn't claim that this is a, you know, conference title contender. I mean, I think they're a fringe bowl team at best, but, um, at the same time, like to think that there's 98 programs in better shape, um, I'd find that to be a tough pill to swallow. And I'll leave it at that. Like you said, we've had 
we've had worse ratings from, from others um, with less to back them up. Um, so I guess more than anything, I think it's just when that with numbers to back it up, um, it would appear that we're still in, in some dire straits. Yeah, I think that's really fair. Like, if you take basically the post-G-Rob era, 09, the team didn't win a lot of games, but they were a lot better on the field. From, like, 2010 to 2013, like, 20, I'd say all those teams were probably safely in the top 50, top 70. Uh, I think 2010 was probably, like, a top 50 team, and 2012 was probably, like, a top 30 or 40 team. But, like, if it wasn't like Syracuse was some dominant force, but they were pretty consistently above average for that stretch. So for one year, which, you know, it, it was an awful, disastrous year, um, but it wasn't inexplicable. We, there, there are a lot of reasons why that year happened. It wasn't like, oh, my God, the last four years of Syracuse football were the Mirage. They're as bad as they were five, six years ago. For that to all derail um, an entire perception of what Syracuse football is, is, is really unfortunate and kind of shows how much further this this never-ending rebuild actually has to go. We, we keep on thinking that we're on the other side of it, but we're, we're never quite there. Right. I, I, you know, while you were talking, I kind of felt the same, is that I think the issue is for, for everyone is that the three and nine season just gave them, just gave them a reason to go right back to a narrative. They never really left, um, you know, for all of them, Messi's been in a crater now for, you know, upwards of 10 years and, and they're going to stay there and, and until, you know, they can put together, I mean, if they had scheduled more easily um, back in, you know, 2012, this team probably would have been headed to the Orange Bowl and that would have been it. It would have changed the perception back to maybe not what it was in the late 90s with Donovan McNabb, but it would have changed the perception back to a sturdy program, uh, you know, with at least an ability to get back on its feet. And instead, um, you know, and it's only the fault of the program and the fans um, who don't either don't show up or are unrealistic about the team on social media and shout down anyone who says anything bad about them. Um, but what we've done is just created a never-ending cycle. And, you know, until we get out of our own way, and that goes for the program and the fan base, um, it's just going to continue. Yep. And again, it harkens back to the most important thing being uh, winning football games because while Syracuse know, fans know exactly what happened last year and know a lot about the team and what the what next year projection probably does look like, at least, you know, most of us that are realistic. Some of us obviously aren't realistic going in both directions. Um, nationally, I mean, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to be super knowledgeable about 128 teams and Syracuse a isn't one of the ones that are super relevant recently, even when they were making the Pinstripe Bowl, and uh, B they haven't been super exciting either. So I get why you you know aren't going to be super attentive when Syracuse things roll around. I'm sure there are plenty of people that that barely realize how bad the injuries were last year, or even know what the George McDonald thing was. Like they might have heard one thing about it, but never like looked into it. So, I mean, you have to make people want to know more about your program, and that's been a struggle, and that's where a lot of these, you know, iffy projections and and kind of unfair predictions come from. So, it, it, you know, it, all this stuff is 
all feeds into each other. We've been talking about scheduling so much, and I know we probably sound like a broken record, but when you complain about uh, when you complain about national national, uh, national perception and all of these previews and all and everything else that goes with it, I mean, this is where it stems from. The all-new Toyota Rav Four asks, "What if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time?" Introducing a car that's got style and substance to spare. The all-new Rav Four Limited, featuring a sophisticated, muscular new exterior and available options like a premium JBL audio system and panoramic roof. The all-new Rav Four Limited. Toyota. Let's go places. JBL and Clarifier registered trademarks of Harman International Industries Incorporated. Very true. Um, now that we have you listeners roped in uh, with Syracuse talk, we're going to talk about not Syracuse teams, as this is the uh, Coastal Division preview edition of uh, a Troy Nunes and Absolute podcast. Next week, you'll get Syracuse from wall to wall, full hour and change. But yeah, now we're going to talk about the other division in the ACC. Uh, other than Pitt, we don't really see these schools a ton. Sometimes it feels like we're not even in the same conference as them. Um, and some of them we never want to see again. Hello, Georgia Tech. But um, they are the other division. And we will start, alphabetical order, with Duke, who was a quote-unquote basketball school until recently when they decided to leave their own crater um, and turn into a legitimate program. Um, Dan, your take on the Blue Devils this year. Um, it's almost unfair because I don't think Duke fans even care that they're actually pretty good in football. If Syracuse fans had the Duke football team, we'd be ecstatic. Um, but anyway, I almost think like Duke is getting buried a little too quickly. Uh, they've been, I mean, last year they didn't quite um, take the step forward that we thought that they would after a, a really strong 2012 or 2013. But I mean, this was still a football team that was good enough to play Arizona State, uh, one of the team that was very close to winning the Pac-12 South, um, in a bowl game. They did, you know, they handled their business most of the, uh, for the most part. The, the, North loss, the loss to North Carolina is pretty bad. Um, and when North Carolina finally did the thing they seem to do every year, which was find themselves at the end of the season and have one big win, um, and then losing by one to Virginia Tech pretty bad, but Overall, they handled their business last year. They beat Georgia Tech, which is a great win. Um, they schedule the way that Syracuse probably should be scheduling. And they got to a 9-4 and four record. And I don't think they'll be quite as good this year. They lose a decent amount. Anthony Boone is gone. He was very good. Um, Jameson Crowder was legitimately one of the best receivers in the ACC. He's gone. Uh, but I still think it's, it's a solid bowl team. I, I think – Assuming Duke can win seven-ish games this year, I think they're on a very strong track where they're not going to fall apart at the first sign of of adversity or the first sign of, uh, you know, it's not like everything came together for a couple special years. It's more like they have an actual sustainable program. Um, and looking at the schedule, I think it's very workable that they should be able to be at least a, a, a low-end bowl team with games at Tulane and NC Central and Northwestern, um, Army, Wake Forest, Virginia, like those are six games they should win without even really batting an eye. And then you have to assume they're not going to go oh and sit in the rest. Yep, the rest of the uh, the coastal and then the Demons BC. So I think Duke. I don't know if they're a coastal contender this year. Uh, if if they are, Cutcliffe is even better than we thought. But I think they're a pretty solid um, middle of the pack bowl team, and that's a good thing for them because they lose a decent amount. 
Right. And I think, you know, that kind of belies the, the issues with Syracuse. And again, won't get into them too much this week, any, like any more than we did at the beginning. Um, Duke is a very sturdy program and a very solid foundation as long as Cutcliffe's there. Um, I mean, SU has itself well scheduled to go 5-1, and one, but Duke, uh, despite having, uh, you know, Georgia Tech, a conference game, like a difficult conference game pop up in there. Um, but yeah, a pretty, a very manageable September. Um, and then third half of October before, you know, they really get into the meat of the Coastal, which really doesn't feature um, an easy game. That's, I mean, as much as, you know, the SEC West and the Pac-12 South are, are very difficult, um, division top to bottom. The Coastal is just a very um, uncertain division top to bottom because there is no bad team. Um, even Virginia um, is not a bad team necessarily, um, but there also might not be a good team, uh, which creates a tough time for everybody. Um, this is a weird group because you have uh, a cutthroat team that's probably going to lean on defense a ton. Um, the fact that they can, they've been able to recruit really well um, on defense uh, I, I think is, is a testament to to what they've built down there. Granted, a lot of it is, uh, you know, in the back seven, in particular the secondary. Um, that's going to be, you know, an interesting shift. Uh, I really, really like the growth that uh, Jeremy Cash has had over his career. Um, and now, you know, playing himself into an all-ACC selection, a guy who is a difference maker, you know, every time he's on the field. Um, I think that it's going to be weird for them not just, you know, flying past teams and outscoring them. I mean, even in the games they lost, like Arizona State, and they still put up 31 um, against a very good Arizona State team last year. I just see them. I see them in a bit of an identity crisis, but not enough of one to you know fall below six and six. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right. The the defense is definitely going to be more of a focal point. Um, they're pretty well intact, especially in the secondary, like you said. They have some big play players. Um, Jeremy Cash had a couple picks last year. Four forced fumbles, five forced fumbles from uh, Devon Edwards. Uh, and then between those two, they had 18 pass breakups. Um, Breon Borders had three picks. So they, these are playmaking defensive backs, which is always nice to have, especially when most of your losses are along defensive front, which is the case for Duke. Um, so I'm not sure if they're going to do a ton of pressure, but – you can you can deal you have to have one of the two you have to either get after the quarterback like Syracuse does which has uh, masked some pretty bad defensive backfields over the years or you have to have some some shutdown uh, players in the defensive backfield to you know allow for uh, your defensive linemen to get after the quarterback even though they're not the most talented group so um, yeah I think it's uh, it's definitely going to be a, a different do team. Um, I'm not totally punting on Thomas Sirk. Uh, I, he's obviously more of a runner than a passer. Uh, last year, he only threw 14 passes, three touchdowns, though, mostly because of the threat of his running. Um, he had 238 yards, and was uh, basically their goal line play was Thomas Sirk gets the draw and just punches it in. So I'm really interested to see what he does as a full-time quarterback. He's physically pretty impressive. He's a good runner. Um not totally unlike Terrell Hunt, although way more unproven as a passer, if anything. Um, but he's intriguing. And then uh, with, with Shale- uh, Shaquille Powell, who's a pretty talented rusher in his own right, uh, and Jayla Duncan, um, who have both been fairly productive in the past. Uh, it should be an interesting group. Definitely less of a passing attack, I think, unless Turk is a big surprise in that regard. 
Yeah, I think that nails it on the head. You know, Cirque is not Cirque is not going to throw the way that you know Sean Renfrey did or Anthony Boone, who really uh, was able to play a, a bit of a dual threat. But I think he also benefited from having Cirque with him. Um, um, was the type of guy who was going to beat you with his arm first. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see the team shift. I think the run game um, is so, so well situated, um, you know, just based on the stable of guys on this team. I mean, Jilla Duncan, Shaq Powell, uh, and Sean Will- uh, Wilson all had their moments in the last couple of years. Um, this could be, you know, kind of a four-deep rushing attack. wouldn't doubt it if they utilized some options. I know, again, not really typical of cut close. Um, strength and knowing Cutcliffe, he's going to game plan for you know the the strengths of the players on the squad, and I, I do see them um, utilizing Cirque very well. Yeah, I think at this point you can kind of just trust Cutcliffe to do what's best. The guy is one of the best offensive coaches in football. Dude's really lucky that he seems to really like it there, which makes sense because he's gone through the ringer with the SEC before and knows what it's like at a high expectation school. So. It's interesting that he's report. I mean, rumored to have turned down some big job offers, but uh, with his age and his experiences, and the fact that you know Duke, you if you're an eight-win team you, uh, every year, you are the best coach in Duke history, which he's pushing Steve Spurrier for, I think. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting situation. I they're a very intriguing team. I do think people are selling pretty early on them. I, I don't think they're my pick to win the Coastal, um, but I think they're going to be in the mix. And that's pretty much all you can ask for after the last however many decades of Duke football. Agreed. Moving on to a team that could actually be in contention for, at the very least, the conference championship, Georgia Tech. Um, we we will avoid SU's trip down to Atlanta. It will... It never happened. Um, but moving on from that, Georgia Tech is a very, very interesting team this year. I think the bar was low last year for Paul Johnson. I think the bar was low for this squad overall. Just seemed like recruiting had kind of fallen off a cliff, which is, you know, kind of a slap in the face to, to the program considering, you know, where they're located right in Atlanta. And yet, um, Justin Thomas ended up being uh, the squad's savior. He, uh, this is something I said for years. Um, their attack only works if there's a fear of the pass. Um, and Justin Thomas, while well, he's obviously very, very strong on the ground, uh, the fear that he can unload it um, and, and did last year uh, allowed for that rushing attack to be brutally, brutally effective. Um, and I think it's going to be again this year, despite them once again turning over most of that backfield. Yeah, I mean, it's the first time in a while that Georgia Tech had a legitimate dual threat quarterback, usually they just have a runner who will bomb the ball deep occasionally just to keep people honest. But um, Thomas had 18 touchdowns and six interceptions. He didn't complete a lot of passes, but Georgia Tech's passing attack is always going to be deep threat focused. Um, That's the reason why a team that runs the ball like 75% of the time can go recruit big-time receivers like they have. I mean, no – no program probably has a better duo of NFL receivers than Calvin Johnson and Demarius Thomas. It doesn't make – it still doesn't make a ton of sense to me, but I've I gotten it a little more. Um, and Justin Thomas is running the, the offense as well as anyone has. Um, I mean, 1,700 passing yards is about all you really need when 
your quarterback's also going to run for 1,100, and you have, um, I mean, they had three guys over 800 yards rushing last year. So it, that that team is, is really scary. We saw what happens when you go up against a far lesser triple option Georgia Tech team uh, without having seen that offense before. Um, we got torn apart, and that'll happen to better football teams than 2013 Syracuse. Um, because this Georgia Tech team's nasty. Uh, they beat a very good Georgia team on the road last year, which was not a fluke at all. Um, they return the, you know, the majority of the defensive players. They lose one guy out of the secondary. They lose a, a couple linebackers and one major defensive lineman. Um, the receiving core got shredded a bit, but obviously, obviously the running part uh, equation of the offense, uh, the running part of the offensive equation for Paul Johnson is far more important. Um, I, I'm, I think this team is a legit top 15 to 20 team, and it wouldn't shock me. if It wouldn't be the most surprising thing if they won the ACC, honestly. The biggest obstacle for them is their schedule is pretty tough. They have Georgia, Florida State, and Clemson, um, and Notre Dame. So uh, this team's going to be tested. I, I don't expect them to go through with only one loss, probably not even only two losses, but um, – I do think they are the prohibitive favorite to win the Trostal, and they could really ruin the ACC's day when the ACC championship comes around if they make it. No, agreed. I think Florida State, uh, while they were obviously the best team in the ACC last year, they did get extremely lucky in that game against Georgia Tech in the uh, title game not to lose. Um, this is a Tech team that I think understands its identity better than probably any Paul Johnson team since the Orange Bowl squad. Um, I think that was back in 09. I mean, in general, uh, yeah, Thomas is a perfect fit for this squad. Uh, offensive line returns four or five. Yes, Shaq Mason's gone, but you know what? The returning that type of experience um, is still huge. They return so much on defense. I, I just think that this is a group that if they can get past October, um, and this October slate's tough, uh, you got Carolina, Pitt, and Florida State at home. You got at Clemson, at Virginia. They can get through that with one loss. Um, you know, I, I think you're looking at a team that could potentially go 10-2, um, win the Coastal, and, and really kind of, you know, at least will be in play. Well, they will guaranteed get um, a money bowl bid if they, they win the ACC. Um and who knows, though, it could surprise. I have them hovering kind of around the 10 to 15 range in my own rankings, but uh, we'll see. I think, as always, it will come down to uh, what happens against Georgia um, in that final weekend. But, you know, Notre Dame, Florida State, Clemson, Georgia, and I think Virginia Tech, you can add that list, too. Um, just really, really tough game. And, again, if they can get past those, uh, this is going to be a very, very scary team from the postseason. Yeah, and, and we all brought it up in the article where we discussed our uh, favorite or our, our preferred non-Syracuse college football playoff teams. Um, and obviously, Georgia Tech's a bit of a long shot, but it's not crazy. Um, they just have a gauntlet. If they had an easier schedule, I think it'd be more real- realistic. Not that I'm advocating for anything uh, like that ever. But um, I think it'd be really good for the ACC to establish a third, a legitimate third power. Um, behind Clemson and FSU, and it's imbalanced in the league, so it's not just the Atlantic that's always representing. Um, obviously, it's not great for Syracuse when they have to go down to Georgia Tech every, uh, well, 12 years. Um, 
Sixers have become the, uh, a third power. But as, as overall for the league, it'd be good if if a Tech or a, a Miami, if they're recruiting sticks and Golden can weather the storm, um, or Virginia Tech or one of the other schools can really rise up and become and, and add some balance and add a little bit more uh, legitimacy to the league, which I don't think is as bad as people say. Uh, I think it's even if it's the fifth best power conference, it's still uh, pretty strong and, and, and tough to get through. And when you have two teams like Clemson and FSU, you're you're a pretty uh, decent league. But obviously we want to see the ACC uh, really rivaling the rest of the country. And so the tech would really help us out with that. Very much agree. It also helps just in general, you know, having such a, a big flag planted in Atlanta, having it be successful is, is great because it does allow for, I think, everybody um, in the conference to get in there more. And we have, in general, uh, Florida State and Clemson obviously utilize the area. Done. Um, before we leave the Yellow Jackets, I, what I am very curious about is if Georgia Tech could get to the playoff, let's say, can anyone stop them? Because I, I guess we've seen this before. I mean, yes, teams would have a lot of time to prepare. But given how the playoff is formatted, is is it enough, and would you be able, or if a team could beat Georgia Tech in a semifinal game, would they basically be screwed the next week um, for a championship game when any team they would face after Tech would be a completely different style? Um, I don't know. I mean, we've seen teams. I, I don't know if there's really hard data on Georgia Tech messing teams up or, like, Navy doing it. I feel like Navy people have talked about more, like, the week after they seem some tend to struggle. I know Notre Dame went on their long losing streak um, after they – well, they lost to Florida State, and then I think they beat Navy close and then lost, like, four – the next four or five games. Um, I do think there's something there. I think with a month to prepare or three weeks to prepare, whatever it is, in the semifinal, they'd have a better shot. I mean, a team like Alabama or Ohio State that just has a ridiculous amount of speed um, on the defense, I think they'd be okay, but – if you're talking about a more marginal defense, uh, which there aren't a ton of college football players, uh, contenders with that, um, they could be in some serious trouble because you really can't imitate Georgia Tech's offense perfectly on scout team if you don't have the right personnel. And it's one thing to put uh, A.J. Long out there, someone like A.J. Long is fast, uh, and have him do his best Justin Thomas impersonation, but to actually face Justin Thomas, who is – like programmed to run that offense to a T. I mean, it's just not the same same thing. I think uh, they could be a tricky team, but I think the, the teams that you're likely to see in the college football playoff have so much ability on that side of the ball that they'd probably be in okay shape because of, you know, their ability on coaching and everything else too. Too right. Uh, one more team before we get to halftime, uh, Miami. Uh, this is a, a squad that I know – uh, Bill Connolly's high on. I'm oddly high on as well. Um, I know the defense has some question marks, but overall also has a lot of depth and a lot of uh, a lot of youth and some great recruiting classes uh, of late. But I think that the key here is Brad Kaya, and I think Brad Kaya is good enough, um, if not great enough, uh, to lead Miami to what could be, you know, an, an eight or nine win season. I know they just did that recently, just a couple of years ago. But this team feels like 
they can go somewhere. And, and no, not to a playoff. And, and no, I don't think they're going to win the Coastal. But they still feel like a top 30-ish team that's knocking on the door at this point, despite, you know, falling flat on their faces last season. Yeah, I, I'm intrigued by Miami for a lot of reasons. Um, I don't think Al Golden is as bad a coach as Miami fans will tell you. He did. He is the one who started the Temple rebuild. And obviously it's been a, a couple of years since he was there. But Temple's one of the better AAC teams after being dreadful forever. And he started that. Um, I think the recruiting, like you touched on, has been uh, – it's not quite as good as the rankings will show you at first glance, but they do have a top – 10 class in 2016 right now. A lot of that was they were around number two or three for a while, but they ended up getting like 25 commitments before like and most other teams at 15, and then a couple of kids have backed off since. But their 2017 recruiting is nuts. They have uh, the only team with more commits is Ohio State. Miami is number two in the country right now. A lot of that will fall back to the pack as other teams uh, catch up in terms of numbers because Miami's commitments aren't all, like, five stars or anything. But Golden's basically going to make it really hard on the Miami brass to fire him based on his recruiting. Um, it also helps when you have Brad Kaya, who's a, a really nice quarterback, really developed well last season from that first Louisville game where he got decimated by their really tough defense. Um, but if you look last year, I'm looking at Bill Tomley's preview with Miami, and they finished 7 but – they were one of those teams that lost three coin flip games where it came down to a possession or two, including the Florida State game, which they had. They, they controlled for a good, like, two and a half quarters and then just fell apart down the stretch. Um, that Basically, what history shows you is that teams that have bad luck like that will generally rebound and, and regress to the mean a bit uh, more often than not the following year. So, uh, if you're looking at a team that could have been a nine-win team last year, odds are they're not going to have the same bad luck um, going forward on a repeated basis like they did last season. Um, Syracuse is another team that we are hoping has a, a similar outcome. Um, they lose a good amount of skill position uh, ability. Duke Johnson obviously was, was probably one of the more underrated backs in the country. He's gone. Um, Philip Dorsett, Blazer, he's out by Walford. But they have some interesting pieces. Um, Joseph Yerby and Gus Edwards have a chance to be one of the better one-two running back punches. Uh, obviously, Syracuse fans are all familiar with Gus Edwards from uh, when he was committed here from her own left. They have an interesting group of receivers, but no one super uh, experienced. Stacey Coley's probably the most interesting guy. Um, highly, highly recruited guy. Uh, they lose a lot from the offensive line, but it's overall, I think, when you have a quarterback, that solves a lot of issues. And Kaya, I think, is a chance to be one of the two or three best guys in the ACC. Um, and if he lives up to that, Miami can definitely be like an eight-ish win team, maybe nine. Um, I don't think they have the system down like Georgia Tech, and I don't think their their defense is quite what Georgia Tech is. But um, I think uh, it's a little early to call for Al Golden's head. I know Miami fans want to do that, and there, there has been a lot of disappointment, but he walked into such a bad situation that um, with the way he's recruiting, as long as he can hang on to the majority of those guys, um, I expect him to be there for another, at least another year or two, unless this season's just a total disaster, but I'm not expecting that. Yeah, I, I think I completely agree on Golden. You know, you can't draw the same comparison you make to Michael London because, well, London's recruiting had, you know, a, 
a top 40 to, to 45 level. Gold is recruiting, you know, at, at a top 20 level um, year in and year out. You know, this talent, this talent has shown itself. You've seen an uptick in players drafted. I mean, guys like Hugh Johnson, just um, kind of scratching the surface. Uh, what I want to see this year, though, is, you know, if the team can overcome what looks like a lot of youth on defense. Um, Kaya, you can pencil him in for probably 3,600 yards and, you know, 29 touchdowns, despite having, you know, no receivers of, of true note uh, to toss it to. And, yeah, he does have a great running attack behind him. I think this defense, though, needs to find a way to, uh, to get back on track. Last year, it seemed like we saw an uptick um, just production-wise in general. Um, you know, you had a squad that overall ranked top 40 and a lot of the key, uh, key qualifiers. Turnover margin really wasn't great. Um, so if this team can do a little more ball hawking um, and just continue in general to be, not even stout, but, but average against the run of pass, I think Kai's going to keep them in every single game. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I think my biggest concern might be um, the youthful defense. Um, just having Kaya have weapons. We saw an issue with uh, obviously Kaya is not the same uh, touted player, but was a lot better last year than him. Uh, Christian Hackenberg was was really good as a freshman for Penn State, and he lost a couple of his big targets. It took him a while to really get in rhythm with his new guys, and he had a really dreadful sophomore year for a guy who's considered a possible number one overall pick. So I think the sophomore, the notion of the sophomore slump's a little overstated, but when you lose your top receiver, your top running back, um, the number one tight end, uh, three-fifths of your offensive line, or actually four-fifths of your offensive line, um, there is a, a bit of a, a concern there. Um, and we saw it happen with Hackenberg last year, who was getting sacked all over the place and, and finally got into a rhythm with Deshaun Hamilton down the stretch, but it took him a while. Um, but overall, I think, I think, uh, I think Kaya, A, won't face like Ohio State and Michigan State, which is nice. And I think there's a little more uh, consistency there um, in terms of, you know, no coaching turnover, uh, a, a number of weapons, um, even if they're not super uh, experienced or proven, it seems like there are some interesting pieces, a lot of like blue chip receivers all over the place. So I think as long as he doesn't take a major step back and he continues to build on what he did in 2014, I think Miami is going to be a factor. Fair enough. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. And I would have to agree again. Um, that brings us to halftime. And uh, yeah, I, I think... Might as well talk some beer before we jump into the last four teams and, uh, and also make some ridiculous bowl projections. So, Dan, what have you been? Uh, what have you been drinking? Um, not as much uh, to report on this week. I know we had a, uh, we had a big couple of weeks. Uh, let me pull up on my list is here. 
Um, I know lots of guys at Ithaca's uh, Castazilla, which I haven't seen around as much, obviously, as uh, as you do up in upstate New York, where it's all over the place, um, which I, I've never had too much of, but uh was pretty enjoyable. Nice, solid red ale, which I don't always drink, but I enjoy uh, every so often. And um, the other one is I had Two Roads, uh, their Little Heaven Session IPA, which um, not quite as good as the All Day IPA, which I also had this weekend and talk about all the time from Founders, but um, also a really solid session uh, at 4.8. It's not like the weakest thing in the world, but you can definitely drink it for a while without uh, getting pounded by it. And um, a lot of really interesting flavors going on there. Uh, really easy to drink, too, which is nice. Um, so, and then obviously I said, I said I had the all day, which I pretty much will get anytime I find it. Um, so it's good. Uh, but we talked about that fair, enough, uh, fair amount, so I won't drift too much into it. You all know what that's about. You can find it pretty, uh, seems like you can find that pretty much all over the place now. Yes. Uh, Founders is actually headed to California. I think they're already up in NorCal. Um, and they should be headed down here. I know that the big conversation amongst um, the Southern California beer community is that them bringing their IPAs is kind of useless just because we have so many out here. Um, they might be better served um, bringing their dark beers out here. I know Breakfast Stout, KBS. Breakfast Stout in particular is just a really, really excellent beer. And while it has a sort of rarity status um, on this coast, it doesn't elsewhere. Um, yeah, it's an excellent beer. I enjoy it every time I have it. Arizona has it, and any time I'm in Arizona, I try to grab some. But yeah, Founders, uh, Founders is always just very, very good at what they do. Um, but moving on to uh, some of my beers, uh, I had Noble Ale Works, uh, Citrus Showers. They have their uh, double IPA shower series. Uh, they basically use the same basic recipe, but um, grab a different uh, hop varietal with each one. This one very much focusing on Citra. Um, it's one of their best beers and one of my favorite beers around. Um, just such a great, great brew. Um, had uh, Brett C. from uh, Prairie. Kind of a Saison with Brett. Uh, very interesting dry finish on it. Uh, not at all like a typical Saison. Uh, had uh, the very, very excellent uh, Russian River Supplication. For those who haven't enjoyed any of Russian River Sours, go find one. Um, I've had this one before. I liked it better on draft, but um, still very good beer. Uh, super going. The uh, Grimm's kind of orange goza. So check that one out. Had uh, Dantalium Upland. was a uh, interesting kind of dark wild ale. Really enjoyed. Uh, Upland's over in Indiana. It doesn't really get out of that general area, but um, this one I had picked up uh, when I was in Indianapolis for the Final Four. So finally crack that one open. And then lastly, and this is highly recommended for anybody, um, Stone's 19th anniversary IPA is out. It's called Thunderstruck. Um, they're only featured New Zealand hops. It's just an incredibly juicy, um, bright IPA. Again, get on it if you haven't already. It should be in most stores. I know it's kind of hanging around on shelves um, everywhere here um, and likely is back east as well. So that's here. Um, Moving on back to the Coastal Division, our favorite opponent. Actually, no, we'll hold off. I think Pitt's going to take a while, so we'll go to North Carolina first. Um, 
what are the Tar Heels to you, Dan? Because I, I think it's not just us. I think everyone is confused and kind of just perplexed on what this Heels program has become um, over the last probably five to seven seasons. Um, they are the weirdest consistent team ever. Uh, they basically do the same thing every year, which is they come in with like some fringe top 25 hype. That people say if only the defense can just get a little better, the offense is good enough to uh, win a lot of ball games, and then they end up just falling on their face to start the season, are on the brink of not making a bowl, and then they end up like winning out down the stretch. Um, this year, I, I don't know. I people have seemed to have uh, learned their lesson from from North Carolina, and I don't quite see things playing out the same way. I don't think they're going to beat South Carolina in the opener, but they have three pretty easy games. Going forward, not, not that Illinois is a, a total um, guarantee. Uh, Illinois was a bowl team last year, despite uh, the fact that, that sounds ridiculous. They did make one, um, but they have NCA&T in Delaware, and they wait for uh, they have a you know trip to Georgia Tech, so they'll probably lose, and then they have Wake in Virginia. So it's the, their schedule this year is actually a little more front loaded than it is back loaded. Um, so we should have a better sense of what North Carolina is off the bat than, you know, them doing their normal uh, dramatics on the stretch. But uh, they bring back pretty much everyone um, on offense, which is a good thing because their offense is pretty good. Uh, basically, they, they have Marquise Williams back, who is a solid uh, quarterback, if not spectacular. They bring back their entire array of running backs. They bring back the top four receivers, their entire offensive line. Um, this group has been good. I don't think it's been quite as great as some believe you believe, and I think a lot of that is that the defense is so bad that people are amazed that UNC's ever in ball games. Um, but I, I do think the defense, kind of like our offense, was so bad last season that it can't get worse. So I do expect some uh, development there. Um, and I think this will be kind of like the last two teams have been, except less weird in terms of how the schedule plays out. I think it'll be a seven-ish win team with a nice offense and a pretty lacking defense. Um, but this is a chance to, you know, if all things play well, I think this could be the the team that takes a step forward for Larry Fedora. But I'm not going to bank on it because I thought that two years ago. I thought they were just like when the Coastal or come close, and they didn't. So uh, I think there's a lot of buyer's remorse with uh, UNC, but I think they'll actually be, you know, pretty close to what they've been, if not even a little better this year. Yeah, and I think it all lies with that offense. I mean, Marquise Williams is a very, very, very good quarterback, um, but only for the type of offense, in my book at least, that Larry Fedora runs. I think he's perfect for the spread. I think he can, you know, kind of mess with defenses with his legs, with his arm. There's enough playmakers on this team. Um, it's pretty insane to me just how much they've been able to stockpile. And on top of that, how little result they've gotten. I mean, honestly, they can outscore anybody, but... That defense, the fact that they got rid of a lot of guys could be a positive if we're pretending that the system works um, and the, the recruits are going to come in. I know running a non-traditional, they were a 4 I think they're doing a little bit of, more of a switch uh, to something a little more traditional, like more of a 4-3, um, or at least incorporating some 4-3 elements um, into this year's defense, which could really benefit them. Um, overall, you know, North Carolina, like we said, an enigma, one that is the most notable brand uh, of footballers 
athletics in general in a, you know, rising um, recruiting state, um, just a growing state in general, one that has a lot of talent, and yet it doesn't really seem like they're ever able to put it together. Um, this isn't the year. I know some, I've, I've seen some, some picks for the Heels to win the division. Um, I still don't buy it. I just don't think, I don't think that, especially in the ACC, um, I think a lot of teams are very balanced or very defensively focused. I don't think outscoring teams is going to be a way uh, to victory or, or, or a viable path to winning yourself a division at the very least. Um, I think that's where they fall short. Um, the question then becomes, though, like what of Larry Fedora? Um, obviously, he's a good coach. Obviously, he can get talent in the door. But, Dan, at what point do you say, okay, like you're recruiting well, you have talent on the roster, you're not executing? Um, you know, where are the. No, I wouldn't say he's in the same position as Al Golden is perceived to be, but what kind of. How much rope do you think he has left in, at UNC? Uh, it's hard to know. He actually has a similar situation to Al Golden in that they both came with a lot of scandal befalling uh, their schools. Um, Golden wasn't really told about it, which was kind of messed up. Fedora, I think, probably had a better sense, um, although he's not out of the woods by any chance, no matter what he's been telling recruits. Um, it's, uh, it's tough to really know. I, I think they have been recruiting well, but Golden's been recruiting a lot better. Um I think aside from a couple, I think the, the expectations in Miami are higher for a number of reasons, uh, which uh, it's probably not quite as fair as it seems on paper with the history of that program um, during the struggles since the early 2000s. But UNC has never been a powerhouse. I know there's a lot, they seem to have a lot of promise because of that recruiting area and because they have a name athletic program, like you said. Um but they've never been like a year in year out, uh, you know, dominant force in the sport. Um, unless I'm missing something, like they've always been their basketball school to begin with. Um, they don't. They're they're, they're they're in a weird state where there are a lot of rooting options, uh, not just uh, D1 schools, but ECU has a big fan base, and and I'm sure there are a lot of Virginia Tech fans, a lot of South Carolina and Clemson fans in the area, and Georgia fans. So I don't know. I, I think. It's hard to know what the UNC brass actually thinks of their role, of their, of their spot in the college football world. Um, and I almost think having uh, firing Fedora and then throwing a new coach in there with all the NCAA stuff going on would be kind of unfair. And, and you are looking at possibly facing all the same challenges he did when he stepped in. So I think he, uh, he'll have a decent amount of rope. Um, I think maybe Golden should have even more than he does, but um, – both have faced similar challenges and it's kind of similar profiles. Uh, so I wouldn't expect him to go anywhere unless it's, you know, a three or four win season. I think he'll be there for at least another two, probably more years than that. I would agree. That was a good take on Fedora. Actually much more thought out than mine was. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. 
Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Yeah, moving on to uh, our not-at-all rival pit. Um, this game has become frustrating because I feel like we don't beat Pitt, but yet Pitt is really not in any better shape than we are year in and year out. Um, and it just becomes almost an automatic loss on the schedule, um, just the same. Um, Pitt last year, and I think holds true again this year, you know, is, is two players deep. Um, and then they have a lot of guys who, who can and do show something here and there. Um, I mean, Tyler Boyd, James Conner, they're terrifying players. They're very, very good at what they do. They make Pitt's offense both watchable um, and dangerous, despite what uh, Chad Boykins may or may not be. Um, but this year, I think that their their defense just, in some ways, it, it shows promise. In others, it doesn't, I think. The secondary is well situated to be um, improved. I think with Lafayette Pitt in particular, um, you know, really, really getting um, a shot to star. I think the defensive line is going to take a step forward in the last year. They sort of took a step back. Um, nonetheless, though, I think Pitt, you know, because of more coaching change, even though I think it's positive coaching change for them, and Narduzzi, a guy's going to be there for at least five years. Um, I still think that they're a seven and five team at, at at the very highest. Yeah, the weird thing about Pitt is that they keep on making good coaching hires, and they keep on losing them, and they don't they haven't like made the disaster hire yet. Um, aside from the guy who didn't coach a team, like that was a bad hire. But then they went and they got Todd Graham, who ended up going to Arizona State and you know launched a lot of jokes that ended up being really good there, and then. I don't think Paul Chris was great, but he's a no-brainer for Wisconsin, and I'm sure he'll do Wisconsin-y things there. And then Pat Narduzzi might be the best of the bunch in terms of, like, his, his rep heading in. He's been one of the two or three best defensive coordinators in the country, which is scary for us. Um, he should be able to recruit pretty well, which has never really been a huge issue for Pitt. Obviously, they're not recruiting at, like, Wanstead levels where he was getting top 20 classes, but they're, you know, a solid competitive recruiting team that will – a couple big Western PA guys and lose to Penn State a bunch, but get a lot of the, the next level people in PA. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard to really know what to make of them. There isn't a lot of depth to their offense. They have James Conner, who's amazing. Uh, they have Tyler Boyd, who's really underrated um, and probably shouldn't be playing a couple games this year, but uh, is going to probably play all in. No, he's missing one. He's missing the first game because of his DUI. Um, He's really good when he's on the field. Syracuse has been victimized by him way more than uh, they have by Connor, honestly. But outside of that, there is a lot to be excited about in the offense. I think Boystick is like uh, sophomore junior Ryan Nassib, but probably not quite as good. Um, a bit more of a running threat. He had 600 yards in the ground last year and, and picked up chunks of yardage, but he's, uh, you know, middlingly accurate, didn't put up any, was not prolific really at all under seven yards in attempt, so nothing great there. Um, but they have Connor, who they can hand the ball off to 25 times a game. He does wear down a bit. Uh, I, I definitely noticed when he gets a lot of carries early on, he isn't as effective down the stretch. And the last year, he didn't have a huge game against us, if I remember correctly, but Boyd's a game-breaker for sure. Um, and then the, I'm not really sure what else is going on in that offense, but when you have two players like that, that solves a lot of problems. 
Uh, and defensively, they return a lot on the defensive line. They return um, a decent amount in the secondary. They lose Ray Vinipal, but they bring back pretty much everyone else. The linebackers are kind of an issue, but they have Patton Narduzzi, so I'm pretty sure that uh, he'll be able to coach up a pretty solid defense. And like you said, I think they're a seven, maybe eight-win team if, if Connor has another ACC Player of the Year type season. Um, that kind of seems like uh, the corner that it's on right now, and I'm not sh- quite sure how they get off of it unless Narduzzi really starts, you know, can turn Pitt into a slightly more Eastern Michigan State defensively and get a little more efficient quarterback play. Yeah, uh, I think that's a great point. I think Narduzzi, what I want to see is whether or not he can turn Pitt, and I hope it doesn't happen for our sake, um, whether or not he can turn Pitt into uh, a kind of Virginia Tech, if I had to kind of draw a comparison. Um, no, Narduzzi didn't have Michigan State playing Deemer ball necessarily, um, but at the same time, you know, you had an aggressive defense based on really quality secondary play, really good forcing turnovers. Um, and then that was balanced out by, you know, a sound running game with quality quarterback play and some, you know, mobile quarterback play. And I think all of those elements are there. Um, very rudimentary level, yes. But um, over time, you know, he could really build an identity for Pitt, one that they hadn't really leaned on other than, oh, hey, Pitt gets, you know, has, produces great running backs, but mediocre teams. Um, he could really, uh, he really changed things there. And again, for our sake, I hope he doesn't, but I think things are already in place for him to do so. And what I want to see in year one is how quickly um, this secondary can, you know, take to, his style, um, and kind of the uh, the stark departure um, from last year and previous seasons. Also, want to see over time, Energy already seems to be uh, making more headway than SU has in this regard. You know, going out and hiring um, a guy like Jim Cheney, who, who I think um, is a quality offensive coordinator um, and should provide you know an interesting change for for Pitt. I just want to see kind of, you know, how it plays out where a defensively minded guy goes out and gets an offensively minded coach to help him out. And, you know, it's TVD on Cheney right now. And I think it's TVD on, on Tim Lester, obviously, but the book has already been written on George McDonald's time in Syracuse. Um, and obviously it ended not well. And it's kind of a, I, at least, you know, it's a bit of a black eye on, on, on the stats in terms of, you know, just making the quality decisions to offset your strengths. Yeah, and then we also have to see Narduzzi really take a step forward in recruiting. Right now, uh, things aren't going so well. They're uh, I'm on 24-7 sports. They have nine total commits, eight of whom are three stars. One is a two-star, I'm guessing, or an unrated player. Uh, two-star. And compare that to Syracuse, uh, who has, 14 commits, uh, 13 of whom, they're all at least three stars, Robert Washington, obviously the four. Um, Syracuse is a good 21 spots ahead. Rankings don't mean all that much, but it definitely seems like Syracuse is getting a slightly better caliber of player than Pitt right now, which hasn't been the case in a while. So uh, that could be an issue, but, you know, it's been one year for – it hasn't even been a year for Narduzzi, so it's too early to really call whether or not that'll be an issue for him. Um, But – he seems to be doing all the right things so far. Um, could also just be to see uh, whether or not they can hang on to him for more than two years, which has been the 
bizarre, um, like defense against the dark arts type issue for Pitt for a while now. Um, but I, I think he'll be a good head coach. I, he was a, such a good coordinator. It wasn't like he was a an above average defensive coordinator. He was legitimately one of the best. So I'm not thrilled to say it, but I, I would bet on Narduzzi being pretty good. Now he might get a better job and, and bounce right away because that's what happens. Who knows? It, it's hard to really uh, it's hard to know what opens up and what he's interested in. He seems to be a a pretty decent cultural fit there. I thoroughly enjoy that uh, that Harry Potter reference. I uh, was trying to decide who was Dumbledore, and I, I was I was leaning toward the the highly entertaining Dave Wanstead. Um, if just for if just for he already has the mustache, so you can just kind of give him the full beard and he's ready to go. Um, obviously, Voldemort is Todd Graham. <laughs> I think Wanstead strangely Snape. Because Wanstead clearly wanted to be the coach forever, and he became it, uh, and then he isn't it anymore. But, like, I think Wanstead's one of the only guys who fit would legitimately be his dream job, and if they wanted to hire him again, I think he'd take that job in a moment. Uh, whereas, like, no one else really wants it, or they want it for a minute and then they leave, which is pretty much how the defensive defense professorship went in Harry Potter. Except Snape never actually held it until the end, if I'm remembering my Harry Potter correctly, which I... I think I am, but I haven't read it in, ooh, I don't know. I haven't read any of them since a lot of stuff came out. So feel free to correct me in the comments, everyone, or tweet me angrily if I got anything wrong. I'm pretty sure they took over the class in the end after lusting over it for the entirety of the series. I think I got that right. Yeah, was he? I think it was. Because he was, or he was the defender of the Dark Arts in book six. This and is the really final book doesn't really happen at, the, at Hogwarts. It happens, like, everywhere else. So I think you're right. I think book six is when he was, and that's when everything went to shit. So. Right. Well, so we should, that's definitely going to be mentioned. And they... <laughs> match the rest of the recent pick coaches with their uh, their corresponding defensive the Dark Arts professors, but I think there's about five of each <laughs> over the last however many Perfect. years. Uh, I don't remember the dude from know. Miami of Ohio's name that got fired because he uh, had domestic violence issues, I believe. Um, and I also don't remember who the, the short, more short-lived uh, professor was, but obviously we have an easy jumping-off point. Very true. I think that's a it's still the off-season, so it's something we can definitely look into. All right, last two, um, Virginia. I think a lot of fans are counting this one as a win. I think it's a win, but if you listen to Bill Virginia was a top 40 team last year. They finished a game short of a bowl, um, and, and barely so at that. Um, and they return a lot of really, really solid players at both ends. Uh, obviously, the offense is, is light years behind uh, the defense, nevertheless. But you know, this is a team that plays a very serious style of football, um, and, and that could be worrisome, especially against um, you know a really young SU team. Yeah, they're definitely more experienced. Um, this game's going to be ugly. This isn't going to be a fun football game. Um, I don't think Virginia has a quarterback. Uh, Drayson Lambert wasn't great, but he's off to Georgia now, which makes 
sense in some way, I guess. Uh, they have Matt Johns, who's probably a little better than Lambert last year. They, they Lambert took about 100 more uh, passes, but Johns uh, had a little bit more, uh, more in terms of yards per attempt. He never got sacked. Um, he, his completion rate wasn't as good, but overall, there wasn't a huge uh, difference. Overall, I think they're all pretty pedestrian, if not a little worse. Um, I know they have Connor Brewer from Arizona now, who I believe is eligible. So yes. I'm not sure how he'll play in there, but it's an interesting group. Uh, they lose a lot from running backs. They hang on to a bunch of receivers, but no one that's like super productive. But the defense is, is quite good, um, as the offensive line is pretty much intact as well. But the defense is, is really good. They lose Eli Harold, who was a legitimate uh, top flight defensive end, but they keep the rest of the defensive line, which is pretty disruptive overall. Not as in a sack, but they got in the backfield a decent amount and made some tackles for loss. Um, they do lose their entire starting linebacking core, which will hurt. Um, but the secondary is also pretty good. Uh, so I, I think it's, it has a chance to be a like top 30, top 40-ish defense, maybe even a little better. Um, there just isn't a lot to scare me on the offensive side, but Virginia fans look at Syracuse and say the exact same thing. Um, it's not like Terrell Hunt is – he's probably a more interesting player than what Virginia has a quarterback, but he's not, you know, head over heels better than than Johns is or, you know, I'm not quite sure what to make of Brewer. But um, it's going to be a really ugly game. Uh, this could be like the 9 Louisville game where you just don't want to watch it uh, by the middle of the second quarter because it's like 3-3. Three to three. Um, So – yeah, I think it's a pretty close to a coin flip between Virginia and Syracuse. I'd probably give, I don't know, I'll probably give Syracuse like an extra 5%, like 55-45 edge, just because I think we'll take a step forward. And I think that I probably have uh, a, you know, bias just being more familiar with Syracuse. But Virginia wasn't that bad a team last year. Um, and they do return, I think, the majority of their important players. So they do lose some guys in some key spots. Yes, you know, I think the losses on defense uh, startle, well, could startle anyone. Um, you know, they're only returning about seven guys. I mean, some of these guys have seen the field, sure. Um, I think it's really going to come down to how quarterback play is, um, whether that's Brewer or Matt Jones. Um, if Taquan Mazel can, can kind of take up the mantle um, of what some previous UVA backs have done, um, in particular Kevin Parks, and then most importantly, um, you know, what the secondary can do. The secondary has made its, uh, made its name, really, you know, playing an aggressive style. Playing the type of ball that SU tries to play, but, but ends up getting burned by a lot. I mean, we said a couple of years ago uh, with the GBA team that, you know, watch out in a couple of years. This is going to be a really, like, young game for the secondary. Um, and they arrived earlier than I think we thought. And a lot of these guys, um, I mean, you look at a guy like Quinn Blanding, who is definitely one of the top um, he made probably the top 10 to 15 uh, defensive backs in the entire country. Um, I think he, he's going to be vicious safety. Um, it's going to prevent a lot of teams from going over the top, especially a team like SU that really didn't have a deep ball threat to begin with. Um, so yeah, I, I think your assessment is correct. I think I'd give SU a 55-45 edge, but that's really just because of familiarity um, and because I just don't know if you can rely on Mizell or Johns or if the ball gets hit to Brewer um, to move this thing. Uh, the only saving grace 
that you might be able to find is that, you know, T.J. Thorpe, who used to be at UNC, um, will be slotted in a receiver, um, and that should at least give the team one threat regardless of who throws the ball. Yeah. I mean, I think this has to be the year for, for London, right? Like, if he doesn't make a bowl this year, he has to be gone. Because oh, that's, now, that's a given. I mean, he's only made one bowl game. Yeah, and we've been saying this for, like, three years now, so it's not, like, a new idea. But, I mean, his recruiting has been good since he started, but it's been flipping pretty decently. Um, I know he was sitting, like, top 25, top 30 classes when he started. Now, Past year, I think he was down uh, in the 40s. He was at 49 from 24-7. I'm not sure how things are looking this year for him, but, I mean, eventually you have to win football games. You can't just recruit off of your name or, you know, at some point recruits will stop tuning in. So I think this is actually the year that he really does need to win. I know we've said that last, like, two seasons, but um, the Syracuse game is going to be super important for them. So, uh, unfortunately, I don't think it'll be a lot of fun to watch, but it will be an interesting one because the fates of two coaches are not maybe not hanging in the balance with Scott Schaefer, but uh, a win for either one of these teams makes bowl eligibility look pretty good. Um, so it's probably maybe the most important game on Syracuse's schedule because it's probably the coin flippiest game we have. Um, and for Virginia, probably pretty close. Yeah, I, I totally buy that, and I think a lot of people have made the case for the UVA game. Um, I made the case for Pitt for a different reason. I know Sean and I discussed um, a little bit on the site. Um, Pitt only because even if you manage to drop one of the USF um, or UVA games, you're still 5-2, and two. and if you manage to beat Pitt and you started 5-1, and one, now you're at six wins um, with by the play. But that's kind of another day. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Um, lastly, in the Coastal, Virginia Tech, um, this is a team that uh, defensively is scary, uh, as always, um, but even more so than usual. Um, I think Dottie Nicholas and uh, Kendall Fuller, terrifying players on that end. It just seems like every time uh, Virginia Tech loses, um, guys in the defensive end of the draft because of just how well they recruit there. Um, they restock with these just great four-star, um, just speedy, aggressive, turnover-driven um, players, especially in the secondary, and that holds true again this year. Um, if a team other than Georgia Tech is going to win the Coastal, I think it's Virginia Tech. Um, I know it's been a few years now since uh, since the Hokies got there, but it's not like they've been that far away. I mean, in record, it might not seem like that, but they've been knocking on the door every year, even when they finish six and six. Um, they're pretty close to the division lead. Um, if Frank Beamer hasn't lost it, um, and a couple people would make the case that he has, um, then this team can win nine games. 
if he has, this team will flip to to six or seven, and then maybe it's time to finally start talking about a change um, in Blacksburg. But I expect the Hokies to be a very tough out, probably in every game except Ohio State. Um, I see an interesting mismatch there, an interesting mismatch against East Carolina. Um, but you know what? They'll be in every game um, in, in the Coastal, and I think just every ACC game in general, uh, they stand a good chance to win. Uh, and I mean, not great for, for a long time, a few fans that remember some kind of back and forth with with Vitek, um in the 90s. But you know, th- th- this is the type of program where they're built to last, even if, even if Beamer, um, you know, fades into the background at the time, the Hokies will be fine. And when we, when we get around to facing them, which is in the next couple of years, I think, um, it, it's not going to be a pleasant experience. <laughs> No, and that's the nice thing about having a good defense, and we've seen it with Syracuse teams in the past. Like, you will hang around. Um, even last year, Syracuse, I mean, they got blown out because they were scoring no points, but the Syracuse defense was pretty stout and it was like a top 30 defense. And with even a, a, a below average offense, they would have had a chance to make a bowl. So, Virginia Tech's not that dire in terms of uh, their offense. It's not good, but it's not totally broken. But um, obviously, it's going to decide what kind of team this is. Like you said, their defense is going to be good. Kendall Fuller just takes care of so many issues. He's a top five cornerback in the country, I think. His entire family is all like NFL level quarterbacks, which is crazy. And they all went to Virginia Tech. Um, and they just return so many guys. Um, they're secondary. They lose a, a couple of uh, Tyson Darren and Dietrich Bonner, who are both good players for them. But, you know, Fuller takes away half the field. So. I don't I feel a little worried too much about them back there. Defensive line and linebacking core are pretty well intact. Intact. Uh, Daddy Nicholas is probably one of the more underrated defensive ends in the country. I, I don't care a lot about him, um, but he's a, a machine. He 18 tackles for losses last year. A lot of sacks on that front. They're five, top five. That linemen are all back. This defense is really scary. Um, offense, not as much. Um, I think it'll probably be better than it was down the stretch last year, if only because Michael Brewer has an extra year um, of experience. Uh, they bring back a couple of decent running backs who were okay last year, if not great. Um, Brewer obviously can scramble a little bit, too. Uh, and they bring back pretty much their whole receiving core. It wasn't a very good one, but like as long as these guys all take a small step forward, this offense becomes uh, an average unit, and the defense I think is going to be really, really good like it usually is. So this team could win the Coastal. I think Ohio State's going to put a hurting on them because I think Ohio State's going to be really pissed off in that game. Um, but otherwise, I, I mean, I don't see them losing East Carolina again. PCCU loses a lot. Um, their crossover matchups are NC State and uh, NBC, which is pretty manageable. Um, I mean, I think this is going to be Georgia Tech's main competition for the Coastal. Um if their offense doesn't take a big step forward, obviously it can be a 7-1 team again, like you said, but uh, their schedule is pretty favorable after Ohio State. I mean, there are none of those games that they will definitely be huge underdogs in, except for at Georgia Tech, where I don't think they'll be a huge underdog. I think they'll be, you know, pretty, you know, between three and seven points probably unless Georgia Tech blows the door off, doors off people. Yeah, no, I totally buy in there. And I think 
really the key is, is not – I mean, yes, the defense is great, but the key is going to be where this offense can do anything. Um, you know, the, the thing, though, is is that they, they do return a lot more than they returned the year before. Um, the one issue you're going to see is, once again, uh, this is a team that if there's one position they struggle to kind of backfill, uh, probably in the last five to seven years, is, uh, you know, on, on the offensive line. It seems like they're always rebuilding. They're always refreshing. Um, they just can't seem to get a good uh, crop of guys in the door. Uh, maybe this is the year. Um, if it is, uh, this offense is going to be very much a downhill running group. Uh, J.C. Coleman in particular is someone who, with the right offensive line in front of him, can really take off. Uh, same for Marshawn Williams. Um, so yeah, I, I actually am looking forward to some tech games this year. I think that there, again, there's going to be a lot of different um, games that will both be a bit of a grind and entertaining, as well as ones that will be some mismatches, and we'll see how they match up against, you know, whether it's a team with superior athletes like Ohio State or a team that's just built for speed like ECU. Um, again, looking forward to this Hokie season. I think it's going to be filled with surprises, and, and, and that's, that's something that has only been a recent development for them that's actually made it a lot more watchable. Yep, and this whole year, I think uh, the Coastal is what it is. So, I mean, I feel like every, I think this year it's, it's maybe a little more intriguing because of some of the players, and I think two of the teams have legitimate chances to be nationally relevant. But overall, I mean, one through six, you can kind of see almost any of those slotting in at uh, most of those different spots. Like, I don't think Pitt's good enough to win it, but I can see Pitt being the third best team if all things shake out right. But, um, they're pretty interchangeable, which it's not quite as interesting as it probably seems on paper, but it should be a little more fun than it has been the last couple of years because you have a couple of teams that are good enough to win that are ending where you haven't had teams that are much better than eight or nine win teams in the last couple of years. Yep. So I guess, Dan, if you're going to, if you're going to rank them one through seven, uh, where are these teams falling? Um, I'd say off the top of my head, after just going through these a bit, I'm taking Georgia Tech to win it. I'll put Virginia Tech at number two. Um, I'll put Miami at three, and UNC. Uh, I think Miami three, UNC four, Duke five, Pitt six, Virginia seven. All right. Uh, on my end, I got Georgia Tech. Uh, beating uh, Virginia Tech out be a tiebreaker, just the head-to-head. Actually, have both at seven and one in the conference, which uh, which should provide for a very interesting race down the stretch. Um, at three, I've got uh, Miami. I've got Pitt four. I've got North Carolina five. Um, by way of tiebreaker with Duke uh, at six, and then Virginia at seven. Um, but again, like you said, those first six could probably be interchangeable. I think in particular, uh, you know, number three through six um, are really kind of anybody's guess and will likely be decided via tiebreaker, probably multiple tiebreaker scenarios. Yeah, this is really the tiebreaker division. Which is fine. The four and four dream lives on. Um, before we leave, uh, 
postseason stuff for this division. I know you and I kind of talked before the call. I had some funny postseason possibilities for a lot of different teams. Um, but Coastal, uh, I think I'll just kind of go team by team. You tell me too high, too low, um, or if it's just a laughable matchup, if that works. Sounds good. Do it. Cool. So, Peach Bowl, Georgia Tech, Boise State. Uh, I think that could very well happen. Um, Boise should be another, you know, they should be in contention for that super five spot every year. Um, they lose a lot, but definitely wouldn't be surprised if they're there again. And Georgia Tech uh, in Atlanta could probably do pretty well. Um, I could definitely see them being in that high bowl like we talked about. I think Georgia Tech has a chance to be really special this year. Nice. Quick lane bowl. This is unwatchable. Duke and Iowa. Um, man, it's like Cutcliffe and Ferenc are like, <laughs> I don't know, maybe like they're like Mr. White. Opposite Mr. trajectory. Yeah, they're like the same guy, except one like, it's, they're, they're two sides of the same coin. Like they're older, like coaches that are so totally set in their spot, except that Cutcliffe had this late career emergence and, Ferenc is literally the most boring coach in the country. Great. Military Bowl. North Carolina, Cincinnati. Uh, didn't we already see this bowl? We Maybe did. That, that and bowl. I want to see it again. I want to see it again because this would be a really fun game. Uh, Gunnar Peel would go for 700 yards. Um... <laughs> And that's all I know. That's all Cincinnati I know. Cincinnati will only win by two. Juicy sizzling steak, hand-tossed original dough, a four-cheese blend, and Papa John's creamy signature Philly sauce. It's like the best cheesesteak sandwich ever, but way better, because it's on a pizza, which means you can share it. So show some brotherly or whateverly love and get yourself one today. Right now at Papa John's, get a large Philly or any large specialty Papa John's pizza for just 12 bucks. Yes, 12 bucks. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. At participating U.S. stores, prices may vary. Taxes, tip, and fee extra. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. <laughs> 